Welcome to Inner Revolutionary Radio. Today, your host is Chris Reese, and I am your co-host, Helen Hillix. And we are so pleased to have Andrea Shelton, president of Heartbound Ministries, as our guest today. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But first, we have Inner Revolutionary News with Chris. Take it away. Thanks so much, Helen, and welcome, Andrea. It's really exciting to see what's happening in the news. You know, there's a, there's a lot of news that causes all of us stress, I think, but there's also some really good news. At the Inner Revolution, we're looking for signs of oneness, where we see that not only do we acknowledge that um, others are suffering, but we actually can feel their suffering and we take some action and do something about it. And today, when you hear from Andrea, you're going to see um, and hear a wonderful example of the work that they're doing in the Georgia correctional system. We're also looking for signs of accountability where we acknowledge where we've done harm to others and we take action to uh, make amends for what we've done and to also, you know, behave differently going forward so that we don't repeat the same harm. And we also look for mutual support where people are coming together and being honest with each other about what's going on, even sometimes if it's hard to have a conversation about and looking for ways to support each other to shift into a higher state of consciousness. Again, when you hear what Andrea is doing, I think you're going to be um, really moved and and hopefully inspired also. So looking at the interrevolutionary news, there's some amazing stuff happening around the world in that rivers are being granted the same rights and legal protections as human beings in some countries. Just in the past week, there's a river in New Zealand called the Wanuni. I'm not pronouncing it exactly right. That's a Maori name. Um, But it's a very important river in the country of New Zealand, both for um, tourists who visited to see its beauty and also for the Maori tribe, who for over 150 years have been trying to get protection for the river because they view themselves and the river as literally being the same being. So protecting the river is very important to them spiritually, as well as, of course, for their, you know, just their way of living, their livelihood. So in the past week, the parliament in New Zealand did pass laws that would give the river rights, and it also created funds that are going to be set up to help um, compensate the river for the damage that's been done to it, as well as an additional fund that's designed to help keep the river healthy. So that really to us embodies all of the principles of oneness, like really feeling ourselves connected to nature and understanding that we as humans can't just ravage the planet and think that there aren't any consequences. And um, accountability, you know, owning owning what's been done and the harm and setting up funds to help rectify that and mutual support. And one of the things that's really cool about this structure is that they created a, um, a, a process for legal disputes to be resolved, and they're including a representative from the Mayormi community as well as the government. So both parties um, get to have their voices heard, and, and of course they both have, you know, they both feel strongly about wanting to be part of the process, and so we love that. We love seeing them come together. Similarly, in India, the Ganges River and the Yamuna Rivers have been granted protection. It's a little bit of a sorry state there in terms of the fact that they're deeply polluted. Um, there's an enormous ecological problem in India with these, uh, with both of these rivers, and some scientists have already described the Yamuna River as dead, 
because its toxic waters can no longer support life. But the, um, the Indian government is taking steps now to um, rectify that as best as they can. And, you know, let's hope that something can be, can be shifted. We live in Southern California, Helen and I, we both live in Southern California, and just in California alone, in, in the Los Angeles area, there's been tremendous improvement over the past 25 years with regards to air pollution as uh, the carbon emissions have been limited and there have been controls placed on both um, vehicles and also the gas that is pumped into our vehicles here. So, um, you know, we hope it's not too late and we hope that passing these laws today will have a positive effect. So with that being said, let's jump right into the human element of it and, and let's hear from Andrea. First, I'm going to turn it back over to Helen. Thank you, Chris. And I love those news articles. You know, I read both of them and I was touched by both and the the uh, the Maori people and their relationship to the to the river and the in the Hindus and their relationship to the river just gives me hope that there can be a shift in the way that we really perceive our relationship with the environment and that it is sacred. You know, it feels like there's a movement back toward feeling the sacredness of nature. And I just, that just really touched my heart. So thank you for sharing those. Uh, today's show, the, it, the title is A Child Speaks. My mommy is in prison. Who will read me my bedtime story? Andrea Shelton, president of Heartbound Ministries, answers that question, your mommy will read to you. Hear Andrea share about the transformative healing programs that Heartbound brings into the Georgia Correctional System to restore family bonds. This work is interrevolutionary because the inmates are not confined to the role of prisoner or criminal. They get to be parents, too. Haven't we all made mistakes? Don't we hope that others will forgive us and possibly see us in a different light? Join us today as we feel our connection through the common human bond that transcends religion or political affiliation of longing for family and for redemption. Thank you, Helen. Andrea, um, well, first of all, I just would like to tell the audience how, how I came to meet Andrea. I have a wonderful business associate in, uh, in the Atlanta area. And I've talked to her a little bit about what I do, you know, in my off business hours and shared with her about the radio show and such. And she's had the opportunity to meet Andrea in person and just, you know, was effusive in her praise for the work that that um, Heartbound Ministries is doing. And um, she thought that she thought that I would find it very interesting, too. And I did. And, you know, one of the very, very um important things I think for all of us to remember right now is that there's a lot of polarization happening in dialogue about who's on the right, who's on the left, you know, are you Christian? Are you non-Christian? Are you Muslim? Are you pro-choice? Are you pro-life? And we can get into these um, um, tunnels where we're only having conversations with people that we think that line up exactly with our values and our way of looking at the world. And what struck me about this organization is that they are a Christian organization. Heartbound Ministries is a Christian organization. And they're working with prisoners across the spectrum. 
and the services that they're bringing into the um, the prison community and the support that they're offering for the prisoners on a number of fronts. They have a number of programs here and, and uh, helping the parents uh, get to read to their children is just one of them. And when I looked at this, I thought, you know, this is perfect because it transcends anyone's political views, religious views. These are just people and they're humans. And, you know, just as we need to see the sacredness in the river, we need to see the sacredness in the, in the heart and the soul of the prisoners. You know, we're not different than them. We've all made mistakes. I mean, I myself have driven a car when I've had one too many drinks and, you know, but for the grace of God, I never killed anyone, but I could have. And we all need to see ourselves, you know, this is our view of the inner revolution, not only as our brother's keeper, but as our brother. So we can take on the vital work that needs to be done to shift human consciousness. And with that, I want to let Andrea tell us about the vital work that they are doing to help shift human consciousness and to bring a feeling of family and um, bring in a feeling of wholeness into the Georgia correctional system. Andrea, would you like to start by giving us an overview of your organization and, and how you got into the work? Yeah, I'll start with the, how I got into the work because you mentioned the word family and how we can view others as family. And honestly, before... A, a, this situation happened in my own family. I didn't know anybody in prison, and I didn't want to know anybody in prison. But my brother was incarcerated for serious injury by a motor vehicle. He was in his 40s at the time. It, it took us aback. We expected at the worst he would get some probation time and a fine, and he was sentenced to do 15 years to serve seven in the Georgia prison system. And if you know anything about Georgia, we, we're kind of known, uh, at least we were at one time, as, as a pretty punitive, uh, harsh sentencing laws. I, I think with the efforts of our, our governor and legislature, we're, we're, we're becoming known as, as a leader in criminal justice reform. But my, my brother was handed down a, a very hard sentence. And suddenly what I realized was, when a person goes to prison, the family goes to prison too. And that revelation has become more apparent to me in the past 14 years as I've, I've done this ministry work. And one of the programs that we introduced in 2014 is, is called the Little Readers Program. And what we do is we go into prisons and we... We record on, on video incarcerated parents reading for their children. And, and just today, we recorded 33 moms at a facility in North Georgia recording for their kids. And I, I used to sit in those prison visitation rooms as an adult, and I would watch these children with nothing to do other than sit across from their parents and behave. And it was highly emphasized during the course of visitation, that children were to behave. And and that's not always easy to sit there. It wouldn't be easy in any setting, I think, for a child just to sit there across from their parent and, and talk. And so we started exploring ways we could reach what I call the prison community, which is the correctional staff, the inmates, and their families. I, I, I've never wanted to be an organization that is about us versus them. 
you know, the correctional staff versus the inmates or anything like that. I want to, I want to reach the entire prison community. And so we started looking at ways and this little readers program actually, it was an idea that I stole from California. So I'm sorry about that, but y'all had a similar program united through reading and it was more geared toward military families. But a, a lovely woman in California started that. They tried it out in prisons for a while. Couldn't find a sustainable program. Um, but over here in Georgia, it's been, it's just been gangbusters. It's been highly sustainable, uh, and people love it. And we've had calls from some other states as to, you know, how do you do this? It's pretty simple. We go in, we record incarcerated mom or dad reading for their child. We burn a DVD and we send the DVD and the book to the child along with a list of literacy resources, nutritional resources, a Bible if if the parent so chooses, and a bookmark the parent makes and a postcard so the child can write their mom or dad back because that opens lines of communication that may be severed. And so it's just beautiful. It's incredibly rewarding. The gratitude of the families and the inmates themselves is, is astonishing. And it never gets old um, to, to watch the, the joy that you can bring to somebody through a simple act of allowing them to read to their child. So that's, that's one of the programs we do that is really sort of one of the things we've become known for here in Georgia. And that might be a really long answer to a short question, but no, that's uh, wonderful. <laughs> no, no, it's wonderful. I, I think Helen was about to say something. Well, I I love your answer, and um, I love how interrevolutionary it is. Since you're on interrevolutionary radio, we'll make that connection. But it's your brother's incarceration made you have an inner revolution. You know, just as you were saying that you never wanted to connect to any prisoners or know them. And mm-hmm. I think that's most people's attitude. It's like, ooh, I'm not like that. You know, I don't know anybody in prison. And then when when it comes close to you and it's in your family, you have a revelation. And, you, you know, if you're lucky, you have an inner revolution as you did. And it's, you know, one of the things that we talk about is how helpless and hopeless sometimes we feel about certain painful situations. And I'm sure you must have felt that way about your brother being in prison, that you felt helpless about, you know, what to do. But you didn't stay with that. You thought, what can I do? And and that's another inner revolution, you know, is to choose something that you can do to help change a situation in which you feel helpless or hopeless. And I, I think that's such an inspiring message that you're bringing today is that that very message. Well, you know, Helen, I heard someone say, and I, and I live by this motto, a leader sees a problem and doesn't walk by it. And that, that's all I wanted to do is when I saw the problem, I, I just couldn't walk by it. And, and if each of us would take that step, I mean, talk about a revolution, right? Uh, if, yes. If we just see the problem and instead of walking by it, we would get involved. We would, we would express empathy. Uh, we would be accountable for our fellow man and, and show that mutual support that you talked about. And it, it, would, it would really, and I hate to say this because it sounds so cliche, but it really would change the world. 
you're so right. It really would change the world. And I love that you said that about a leader is someone who walks, you know, who sees a problem and does not walk by it. And I think that we have this, uh, Chris was speaking earlier about how polarized our thinking is and our world is. And I think we are polarized about that definition, that description of leadership and we think so many of us think I am not a leader. You know, I am a helper, or I am. You know, that's the best case mm-hmm. scenario. Is I'm a helper. You know, but I'm not a leader. And so many people are just plain apathetic. But the it really everyone can be a leader, and the problem can be addressed in in such small ways if we are willing to see ourselves as leaders and leaders are just helping to support other people to reach their potential and it could be you know you're helping your little brother with his homework that's being a leader that's noticing a problem and not walking by it you know that the child that's eight years old could help his six-year-old brother so I just wanted to make that point from what you said that, you know, not everybody can create a prison system uh, program like you did or, or ad- adapt one from somebody else. But they might be able to do something else. Like, like you were saying, they might be able to read a story to their kids. Yeah, there's so many opportunities to connect. One, one of the things we've seen just in our nonprofit is that sometimes um, – we don't want to step forth and take take responsibility to tackle a problem because we're so afraid of having a target on our back. You know, the person who's the leader is the person who can be most prone to be criticized if things don't go right or um, if someone doesn't like the way it's working. And I wonder if you, Andrea, have, have had to navigate any any waters in that arena. Have Have you received any criticism of your program or have you had to navigate any... Um, any landmines that you could share about with us that would inspire us to also take on leadership? Sure. I, I you know, early on, some of the, the landmines <laughs> were just navigating corrections. You know, I, would, I came in with this, this attitude of, I, I want to make a difference in, in the correctional system. And, and not everybody that, in my naivety, I thought everybody would be on board with that. I mean, this, we're not perfect here, so why can't we just work together to make it better? And I would run into the occasional warden or correctional officer or correctional official who wasn't very interested in change. And it, 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 it really just sort of took the breath out of me. And there were days when I would, you know, beg and plead to, to bring a program into a facility and constantly get the the door slammed in our face and I could get discouraged. But, but I'm also, I like the fact that I, I'm a little bit of a Pollyanna. I really do believe that good people win in the end. I, I, I just believe that. I believe that good will prevail. And, you know, I, I, that, that is my Christian worldview as well. I, I mean, I, I see it throughout my entire belief system, but, but I hang on to that. And, and sometimes I have to tell myself and I have to tell my colleague, you know what, if, if we're doing the right thing, we'll outlast them. And, and I've seen that happen over and over again. If you do the right thing, you'll outlast the, the bad guys, so to speak, uh, the ones that are, are the haters and the naysayers and the, and the ones that just don't want to see any progress. You, you'll outlast them. You just gotta, you just got to hang on and keep going. 
and I really believe you can do it. And and so that that's sort of how I attack adversity and how I attack opposition. And, and I hate to use the word attack, but sometimes you just got to take it head on. And uh, it's it's not always pleasant. And and you know what you were saying about being a leader. The reason sometimes we don't want to get involved in the lives of others is just inconvenient. I mean, it's going to mm-hmm. take something out of you. I see. And, yeah, and, I see. And you lose your autonomy, right? I mean, there there are times when I missed an event for my child, or or you know, time with my husband because I'm going to prison. Um, but I I've tried to maintain a balance. But but yeah, your life does not. It's not your own, and and really, it isn't anyway. We've just kind of developed that belief, but it's really it's really not. I, I think we. We are our brother's keeper, and so our lives are intertwined, and, and I am not meant to live in a silo, and I'm, I'm just not accountable for me and my own happiness. Um, it, it's so much bigger than that. So, yeah, life is going to be a little inconvenient when you pour into others, but it's also going to be a really fulfilling, I believe. Well, we, we have seen that, and um, Helen and I have uh, worked under the founder of the interrevolution.org, Beth Green, and... You know, she's taught us and, and people who've gone through um, our courses that if we can give up the idea that, like, it's my money or my time mm-hmm. or, you know, all of these things that, like, like as you said, you know, we tell ourselves it's so important. And if we can just surrender really to being guided, you know, and whether it's a Christian belief that guides you or you have a, you know, you meditate to hear the answer, you know, or you're Native American and you have a you have a ritual you do, you know it's a common it's a common process that we can engage in. However, we do it to say, you know, what can I do for the highest good of all? And right. and I love what you said because I know you have a significant professional background, and I'm guessing you made a decision to go this route, and you probably could have been um, also making a lot of money, you know, using your professional background. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know just if I guessing. ever make a whole lot of money. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I went to law school, and I, and I, I laughed because I say I'm the L Woods of law school. Uh, I, I, I was dating a, uh, a guy. He's now my husband, and he, uh, he broke up with me. And I thought he, he was going to law school, and I thought, well, I'll show you. I'll get into law school too, <laughs> and so I did. And uh, about that time, he said, "Oh, I really would love for you to come to law school here." And I I don't know that I've ever confessed this to him, but I was dead set on going to law school where he was because, you know, going to hunt him down. And, uh, but I said, well, you know, if, if I if I sense the future in this, I suppose I could I could go to school there. And uh, he he agreed. So yeah, I uh, could have been a I guess I could have been a high high profile attorney, but I think I really went to law school to get my MRS degree. And, and and was quite successful in that respect. Oh so, my gosh! Um, that's that's that's, awesome. that's how professional I I really am. <laughs> I'm a professional wife, I think. Um, that, that is such a great reference. The legal, legally blonde reference is just brings back so many funny memories. But she was a fireball and very very smart and dedicated to doing good. So you know it's a good. She's a good uh, identity for you, a good alter ego for you. She actually is. I don't think she gets enough credit. Uh, no. Same. 
legally blonde, but yeah, Elle, Elle, uh, Elle was a good one. She was a good egg. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. she was. <laughs> Um, you know, I, I'm looking at some of the other things that you've done, and I'm really drawn to the Returning Heart Celebration. Maybe you oh. could talk about that a little bit and tell us if that's, that's an annual event or, or yeah. how often you're able to make that happen. So we are about to have a Returning Heart Celebration April 29th. It's another idea we stole from a state, okay? And, and they actually have this in the L.A. County jails, but, but we stole this one from Louisiana. I no, a, a very progressive former warden who who really listened to the needs of his population. He ran the largest maximum security prison in the nation, and they said, we need help reaching our kids. And so he, he put together this returning heart celebration, and it's a day when we reunite incarcerated dads or incarcerated moms and their children on the prison ground. So just picture, you know, a festival with cotton candy and pony rides and petting zoo and inflatables. It's wonderful. And we prepare those parents through workshops on um, how to be a parent and how to ask for forgiveness and to reconcile Mm -hmm. with their children. And, And we have to leave it there because... You know, it's not your responsibility whether somebody will reconcile with you, but you do your part. And so we teach them how to do their part, and, uh, and we, we teach them that very well because what we see is reconciliation taking place on that day, and it's just beautiful. And the children arrive at the prison, and we have a microphone, and we call out their name, and and their dad comes forward or their mom comes forward running with open arms. And just to see that moment of, of that reuniting of parent and child is probably one of the most beautiful things I'll ever see in my life. And it's, it's really, it's, it, again, I think it's just one of the best things, you know, if, if I were to write my, my epitaph and you know this is this is what she stood for on this earth um yeah i think that might be it is she helped children and parents reconcile and that's i'm not sure it gets any better than that because we we were made for relationship and and so just seeing that restoration is is beautiful we can't have oneness we cannot have oneness as long as there are all those painful separations. So that's, that is such a powerful, powerful process that you're supporting. Uh, after the show, I would love to share with you the innerrevolution.org's tool of making amends and to, to just see if it could help you in any way. It's a very powerful tool in which you tell the person. Why don't we what, do it now, Helen? Okay. Yeah. Well, um, let's say that I have gossiped about Chris behind her back. And I go to Chris and I say, Chris, uh, I realize now that I have gossiped about you behind your back. And I know that has hurt you by making you feel betrayed, um, alone, unloved separate from me, Um, I don't know, the stabbed in the back, broken hearted, those things come to my mind, 
Um, and when I say unloved, I mean that, you know, it's made you feel like I don't really love you or mm-hmm. I wouldn't or I wouldn't do such a thing to you. Um, let's see. Is there any is there any other way it's hurt you, Chris? And I might say something like it's caused me to um, withdraw my trust not only of you, but of other other women friends, because women so often gossip about each other. So it's caused you to withdraw your trust, not only from me, but from other women, because they so often gossip about each other. Mm-hmm. Is, is there any other way that, that my gossiping has hurt you, Chris? No, Helen, but thank you. And even though I couldn't have done any better at the time, Chris... I need to ask for your forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Now, in at this time, I, I would say yes, but Helen and I have both been part of situations, and this has happened with me with my son, who's a teenager, where he won't forgive me. And sometimes he needs to hold on to his feelings for whatever reason. And... Um, So let's say we have a scenario where the person says, actually, no, I won't forgive you. Then I'll let you take it from here, Helen. Well, and and that's okay. You know, you just say, I I understand. That's, you know, that's up to you. But I needed to make the amends for clearing my own spiritual being and for taking accountability for how I have hurt you. And please take all the time you need, and you may never forgive me, and you may forgive me tomorrow, but that's, that's up to you. But, you know, and you may do something kind of similar, Andrea, and I don't want to take up the whole interview with it, but I just, I love the power of amends, and I just mm-hmm. wanted to, to uh, and, and being specific about how what I've done has hurt you is unbelievably powerful. And, you know, it, because it, it's so much more than I'm so sorry I went to prison. I'm so sorry. You know, it's like I'm sorry that I left you alone, that you don't have money, that you don't have a dad, that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, absolutely. And that is very similar to to what we do. Because what you have to do, I think, in the process is validate the other person. And so that's one of the things we teach is, is validate them and 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 again, it's it. You, I, I believe, you're not responsible about, for whether or not they forgive you. You are responsible for your part, what you can do in asking for forgiveness, in validating uh, what feelings they may have, and 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 your responsibility is is really your part. That's all you can do. Yeah, I so love that's that. A beautiful it- model. Yeah, I thank you, and and so is yours. And I, th- one of the things that we love in the inner revolution is finding other people who have completely independently developed so many similar tools and so many similar practices and so many similar principles. And it really does confirm that divine guidance element of life that, you know, completely independently around the world, people are all coming to the same thing, like the the. Uh, personal uh, human rights for the rivers it's like you know it's all around the world and I love that you and we have developed some similar things you know 2,500 miles apart or whatever we are yeah 
it's pretty extraordinary, really. Uh, that and and I I absolutely agree with you. There there's a divine element to that. Uh, and 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 you know, for for me, it's 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 just how I'm called to live. I should always be living in that state of forgiveness and and remembering that I I need to be a dispenser of grace because a whole lot of grace has been dispensed upon me. And I think we forget that. And I think that's why it's so easy to cast stones at people in prison because we think, oh, I would never do that. But... Uh, you're right you're you're (laughs) right and if we expand the definitions you know have you ever stolen from somebody well I have I have stolen the love of somebody's boyfriend or I've stolen uh you know a thought that somebody else had or you know whatever it is we've all done it to some degree have I ever taken advantage have I ever taken advantage of the vulnerability of another person well, yes, I have. You know, I've taken advantage of my daughter's need for me, you know, to make me feel comforted in some moment. You know, that you can say that's like child molest. But, you know, it's like we have to own. I, I love what you're saying. We have to own that we are that. You know, we we have been granted c- tremendous grace for the the uh, painful things that we have done. And we are like them, even if we have some behavioral, some, you know, superficial differences. Essentially, we have all done all the painful things that are in the world. We've killed other people with our words and so Correct. forth. Very true. Another, and, go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. Um, I was going to ask you about another one of your programs, but please finish your thought. Oh, no, go ahead. No, this is great. Well, I'm really interested in the 100 Shares Children's Visitation Center at the Metro Transitional Center. Love yeah, to hear that's, about that's that. Another, that's another favorite. I uh, We've been accused of having too many programs. And I say no. <laughs> uh, I, I had someone say, well, yeah, is there anything you say no to? And I'm like, well, uh, if it's a good idea, probably not. And so, again, we, we so at a transitional center here in Georgia, uh, you may call them halfway houses in California, but it's it's a facility where the, the women are still under the custody of the Department of Corrections but they're able to get free world jobs. They're, they're, they're sort of getting their feet wet on uh, before they're released. They're, they're within two years of release, typically. And so what we saw once again is you can't just open the door and, and tell a woman to uh, go back out there and resume all your relationships with your children as if nothing happened, because a whole lot has happened. And... So this is an, uh, a room, and, and it's beautifully decorated. We got a grant from an organization that that allowed us to fund this beautiful setting, and it just gives these moms and a kid and the kids a respite from the pain of separation. And and you know, the more that that we're learning about incarceration, what we're seeing is that parental incarceration can be worse for a child than divorce or death of a parent. Because if your parents are divorced or your parent dies, there's not a stigma tied to that of shame, but with incarceration there is. So these kids are having to bear this so often silently. And Mm -hmm. 
there, there's not only the shame, but there, with the shame may come resentment. Uh, you know, why did you leave me? And why did you do what you do? And, and, and it's really hard for a child to understand. I, I grew up the child of an alcoholic. I never could understand why my father might choose alcohol over me. I, I, looking back, I now get it. I mean, he had an illness. I mean, it, you know, that is an illness. He had an addiction, but I, I couldn't articulate that as a child. And, and these kids can't necessarily articulate why mom or dad is in prison, and way too often it's because of substance abuse issues that led to a crime. So we're giving them this opportunity. Twice a month, they come, in, they come to this room for about they can come for about four hours, and they just get to be a kid and a mom. And there's there's toys, there's board games, there's reading. I mean, it's just it's we tried to stock it with everything that you could ever want when you were a kid. And there's a nutritious meal that you get to eat with your mom, and she gets to serve you because for the last few years, maybe she never got to make make your lunch. She never got to serve your mm. dinner. So these women take this as a high privilege. This is. This is them being to op- being able to operate as they were created to be, as moms. I always tell them, you were created to be a good mom. You may not think mm-hmm. you've been a good mom, but, but that's what you were created for. So we just want them to be able to operate in that, in that gifting that, that we, we believe they have. They just sometimes need to know how to use the tools in their tool belt. So we're, we're helping them. They go through a parenting class as well. But we're helping them be the moms that they were created to be. You know, so, so much of, it just brings tears to my eyes, honestly, listening to what you're saying, because so much of what prevents people who have been incarcerated from reintegrating is the guilt and the shame of the damage yep. that they've caused. And, and like you said, the lack of tools and, you know, to be able to offer them a template in which they can submerge themselves so to speak you know they can integrate into that template of the beautiful environment of the games of the nutritious meal and that it's sort of like a structure around them that allows them to play the role of a good mom until they learn how to do it on their own and I just love that support and I wanted to say one more thing about what you were saying about so many of them are incarcerated because of substance abuse and God willing, our society will someday get their heads out of the dark. I won't say where and <laughs> start, you know, start realizing, you know, the pain of substance abuse and will quit incarcerating people who are addicts, because, you know, right. rather than and it would it would change everything, you know, in terms of people's ability to recover and, and reintegrate into society as well as, as you said, you know, the whole family is incarcerated with the shame and the guilt. And it would, it would clear that. They would be right. able to think of their parents as, you know, my parent, just like your dad, you know, had, had a problem, had a, a disease that uh, whether you believe it's a disease or whatever you believe, you know, if you can believe that it is something that they don't choose it's something that they have a genetic propensity toward. And, and right. our whole culture, you know, our whole culture is so organized around, you know, avoiding pain of any kind. Right. So, right. you know, our, our whole culture has become a- addictive. 
in one way or another. You know, in one way or another. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I agree with that statement. And, you know, your your addiction may be different from mine. Mine may be, my, my, you know, I, I had a pastor friend say, you know what my addiction is? It's praise. I just need it. I need somebody to tell me that I did a good job. Or, you know, because mm-hmm. he has that in, within him, to, you know, that propensity to be a people pleaser. And so, you know, it, we, we all have our, our little our little um our little places that we don't want anybody to see but it's but, but there are weaknesses and for mine it's not it's not an addictive substance but 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 I know I have I have my hang ups. And and you know, I, I think it's so interesting because what shame will do and I see this so much for this these mothers in, in the visitation center, it, it's it, it makes you feel deficient. And and you're you're afraid of being exposed in that deficiency, so you you isolate. It makes you feel small, and it makes you feel separated from God. It makes you feel separated from others. And so, what we want to do is is pull them out of the shame of yes, you've been incarcerated, but guess what? You're you're still a mom, and these kids love you. And that's that's kind of a universal thing we see with these kids that they have a greater power to forgive than most adults, and no matter what their parents have done, and I've known some parents who've done some heinous crimes, but these kids still love them, and and we need to give them opportunities to show that. Oh, and, and, and yeah. Whether you care about the yeah. inmate or not, care about the child. They need that. They need well, the, chi- the, the child's self-esteem is so entwined with how they compare themselves to their peers, and... I can see how hard it would be on the child, you know, amongst amongst a myriad of other things, to have the friend who has a mom pick them up, and then that child never has mom pick them up, or the friend whose right. mom shows up at the, you know, at soccer, and, and their mom doesn't. And it's funny because I I've not been incarcerated, um, but I work full time, and I have the whole time I've been a mom. And I remember when my son was younger; he's 15 now. But he would ask me things, and I finally figured out he wants to know why I'm not there more, like why I'm not, like like his um, Taekwondo practice. Some of the moms would drive there and sit during practice, and the kids would practice, and the moms would just, you know, visit or, you know, do whatever they were doing, chit-chat, and then um, wait for the child to be over. And me, I would, like, drop him off. I'd run to do grocery shopping, then come back to get him in the nick of time, you know. I didn't really have time to just sit there and chit-chat. And that impacted his self-esteem. Like, he thought there was something wrong with his mom and his family because I wasn't doing that. And I I can just see through what you're describing how, um, for the child, to see the mom doing things that they think, quote-unquote, normal moms do might give them some sense of, of, you know, like belonging more in the, in the larger world instead of feeling like a misfit. Well, and, and, you know, we, we, we all know, I mean, how, how much guilt comes with just being a mom and even if you're a good one, right? (laughs) I mean, um, I remember hearing uh, a mother say, I just pray that my, that God will help my children forget. Um, and, you know, that's a prayer we can all pray. Um, yes. So just imagine, you know, times a million 
what you may feel over missing a Taekwondo session. Right. You aren't incarcerated. You know, it's just, it's really, really huge. Sorry, there's my my little dog barking. Uh, But we want to help them overcome that shame and we want to help them. They they have to, there's there's a dance of attachment that, that we have as parent and child and that dance gets interrupted when someone goes to prison and what we are helping them do is is reconnect and and resume that dance. Mhm. Do you have any data about um whether or not the programs affect the recidivism rate? Well, we do know that parent uh, well, um, when the family is intact and supportive of the inmate, recidivism rates, and I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I know I've read articles on this, and we, we've, we've talked about it in, in corrections, uh, it does significantly lower the recidivism rate. And, and you know, I, I, um, I'm, I'm not a whole lot about numbers because I'm, I'm kind of like uh, my, my, as my friend, who the one who ran the largest uh, prison in the country, he said, you know, some things you just do because they're the right thing to do, like eating oatmeal. It's just the right thing to do. And so I, I look at this and I just know it's the, it's the right thing to do. And y'all know that. That's why we're having this conversation and why you do what you do, because some, right. some things are just the right thing to do. But, but we do know that it does help. And, and the thing that a lot of people don't want to recognize, that these children are, they are the most vulnerable in our communities. I mean, they have higher rates of substance abuse, mm-hmm. uh, phobias, uh, learning issues, truancy. I mean, you name it, anything, you know, teen pregnancy, you just, you name it, and we can say, yep, this population is going to have higher rates. And so if we can help them maintain that bond and help them through this, through the trauma of, of parental separation, then statistically they're going to have a better outcome. And, and we've watched these with these beautiful children in the Returning Hearts celebration. We're watching them thrive. It's because they connected with their dads at an early age. And now we're, you know, I'm getting to see them as entering college, some of them, mm, and, wow. and they're thriving. And uh, one of my favorite moments was I remember walking into uh, the Returning Heart celebration, and a dad was was with his daughter, and and it was it was kind of that awkward, oh my goodness, we're reconnecting, and uh, kind of moment, and she she just looked awkward. I mean, just like oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm here, and and she she just had a shame about her mm. her countenance, and I said, oh, is this your daughter? And he said, yeah, yeah, it is, and I looked at her, and she she just had her little face down and I, I took my hand and I lifted her chin and I looked at her and I said oh my goodness she's a beautiful beautiful girl isn't she and he said oh she is and to be honest she was just like that awkward phase you know when those little baby birds they they're not quite chicks <laughs> anymore but they're getting their feathers you know we all go through it I just remember yes. when I had the braces and the glasses and ah you know, yeah. that what it would have meant for somebody to say, oh, you're beautiful, particularly my father. And for him to affirm her the next year when she came, oh, my word, there was no downcast face. She was, she was shining. She couldn't wait to get there. 
and and just hear those words again. Oh, you're you're back. You're so beautiful. You're even more beautiful than last year. And it wasn't flattery. I sincerely meant it. I see a beautiful child in her. But it, I mean, what does that do for her? That someone has affirmed her and and told her she was beautiful when society told her you're the child of an incarcerated person. Um, it's 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 changed her. I mean, she's going to college. Um, That's it, amazing. It, you know, those are not typical outcomes. Uh, for a, a lot of the kids uh, who have an incarcerated parent, but but what I'm saying in these children that have been poured into, oh, it, it's beautiful. You know, we have to encourage every soul's essential goodness in order to hope that they have something to draw on in with which to change. You know, we cannot come from a society that believes that shaming and punishing is going to change somebody in a positive way. It absolutely does not work. And the the beauty of your programs is it's all about encouraging the essential goodness and love and light in each person at, so that they do have something to build on, something right. to give them hope, something to feed their Needless optimism, as you were talking about before, you know, we talk about that and laugh about that in the inner rev that, you know, we're, we're needlessly optimistic because I don't care what's happening. We are going to find something to be optimistic about because we have to in order to keep going forward. We have to. And so it's do a they. way to live, isn't it, Helen? I mean, it is. It absolutely what, is. Choice? I mean, it is. And, I, I and live optimistically. Yes. And, and think how happen. hard. Exactly, bad things do happen, but but we we find what we're looking for. You know, if we're looking to uh, to reinforce our optimism, we're going to find something to to reinforce our optimism, and that's what the interrevolutionary news sharing is about at the at the beginning of the show. But think how hard it is for these children and the the mothers and the fathers that are incarcerated and the ones that are not but are part of the family. Think how hard it is for them to find and hold on to and nurture and expand their essential goodness. You know, we, we and in order to build some strength that's going to keep them from returning to the the crime whatever it was mm-hmm. that brought that brought them in they have to expand and strengthen that essential goodness in order to make different choices and i i love that about your program that's what you're doing is you're helping them connect to and believe in that essential goodness that gives them that strength and you know, God bless you and what you're doing because it's, oh, thank it's you. you know, it is the essence of, of what our culture needs to do to shift out of this punitive, shaming, ridiculously ineffective system that we've developed. Right. And, and you know, uh, uh, we, we, we call it moral rehabilitation. And, again, I stole that term from, from, from my friend in Louisiana. It, it, because if, if I can rehabilitate you morally, I can... I can sow good things into you so that you, you, it bring out that goodness in you because I believe it's in there. I absolutely do. And some people may want to argue that, but I choose to believe there's goodness uh, in, in everyone. And, and, and if we can teach you how to tap into that, then, then we've done our job because you can educate someone in prison and you'll get an educated 
criminal. I mean, that that's the reality. Right. right. But if right. we can teach you um, goodness, and we can teach you morality, and we can help you be that person that you were created to be and find that within you, then you go out there as a changed individual and and not not just a, another returning citizen. You are right. a redeemed I, returned Well, I I think that's really important to include in being optimistic, in believing that there's good in everyone. We also are showing the courage to walk right into the pain. So you're not standing on the sidelines saying, everything's going to be fine. You're (laughs) looking at a problem and you're walking right into it and saying, there is pain here, you know, there's disconnect, there is a human disconnect on the very most, you know, basic level within the family and with people, you know, within their own self-esteem and their own soul. And we're going to bring you some ideas about how we can change that. And we're going to bring in some programs to help, to help do something different. So I love, I love what we're saying about being optimistic. And of course, I know we need to hold on to that. And, and, you know, we want to inspire others in whatever way is right in their community, in their space, to have the courage to walk right into the pain and to look for opportunities to create shifts in consciousness. And and we didn't get a chance to talk about it at length, but I know your program also offers substance abuse counseling so that mm-hmm. not, o- not only can they come out of um, an incarcerated um, experience um, having the opportunity to have some parenting skills and have relationships with their children, but also hopefully, you know, fingers crossed, um, reduce the likelihood that they're going to be back using whatever their substance is. Because Correct. You know, between that cycle of um, poverty and addiction, it can be very hard to break out of um, patterns that may also be established generationally. So We have, we have less than two minutes. Oh, i got to turn I- it over to Helen. We need to talk about next week's episode, and then we'll come back and say goodbye to Andrea. Um, One, two, three, what are we fighting for? Are you wondering if resistance and fighting are the solution? Is there a nagging voice in the back of your mind challenging you to not polarize? We cannot fight hate with hate, and we cannot capitulate and recede into the background, and we've been talking about that today with Andrea. How do we find our voice and join forces for real change to create oneness, accountability, and mutual support? The Handbook for the Inner Revolution provides guidance. Join live or listen in as the innerrevolution.org members share from the handbook and relate their own experiences in overcoming our tendencies to fight and separate. Let's move into more harmony and forward movement for the highest good of all. So, So, Andrea... they, oh, yes, join I'm us next week. Go yes, ahead. So, go. Sorry, Helen. Well, I wanted to just say one more thing, too. On April 8th, from 10 to 1 Pacific Time, we are offering a, a very exciting event called Revolutionizing the Abortion Conversation. And it's about bringing together both sides of the conversation so that we can find some common ground and some mutual understanding on this very painful, divisive, and polarizing uh, issue. And that is our commitment. And we really want to invite everybody. We'd love to have you there, Andrea, you know, bringing your perspective about that or any of your friends. And we've got 15 seconds now, so I'll turn it back to Chris. 
Oh, we just want to say thank you to Andrea. What a delight, you know, inspiration and a delight to have you join us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Likewise, uh, it, it was delightful just talking to you, and thank you for allowing me to share my heart. Well, thank you for having the heart that you have to share, Andrea. It was a lovely, lovely connection. And we really mean it when we say thank you for the work that you're doing. And uh, God bless us all. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.